0: This episode is called The House of Black and White. (laughs) And there's this absolutely badass
1: statue um, which welcomes you into Braavos called the Titan of Braavos. I love this because you could almost hear George Martin like reading about the Colossus of Rhodes and just going, (laughs) I can do better than that.
0: As Sam, um, Sam is leaving,
1: presumably for old time. I think he's taking a bit of a detour along the way. You mean I want him to go somewhere, but he's actually going somewhere else to no discernible purpose at great length? You amaze me! Hello and welcome to part two of Shark Liver Oil's read-through of
0: George R.R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows, the fourth book of his much-acclaimed A Song of Ice and Fire series. I'm Matt.
1: I'm Dave, Hello.
0: And this this episode is called The House of Black and White.
1: Now all I can bom, hear bom. in my brain is far far Matt from Bom Bom Bom. Just Michael Jackson, just, just somewhere in a big echoey <laughs> Cathedral giving it <laughs> ee-hee. all I can hear.
0: Yeah, yeah. It should be the house of black and white and then that guitar bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: that's exactly what it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what I think's missing from Westeros, Matt. Electric guitar. No shredding. Absolutely. No shredding goes Absolutely. on in Westeros.
0: <laughs> so um, if you come into this, uh, this is the first time you listen to Shark Live Royal, this is a, a look at Game of Thrones, but it's look at the books rather than the series. So we do touch on the series, and we run it sort of concurrently with what's going on in the TV series. But as we are increasingly finding, the books do tend to go their own way, especially in terms of pace of some plots. If you don't want to be spoiled for the series then you shouldn't really listen to the books podcast if you don't want to be spoiled for the books you're probably best not best off not watching the series so you've read the books now because it's shooting ahead
1: we're we're the fun police of game of thrones if it's, it's as if actually this whole situation with game of thrones is as if somebody sat down and went well we live in an age obviously where spoilers are a big deal and we must do our hardest to avoid spoilers but people have got too good at it we need to. We need. We need the master's degree course in avoiding spoilers. I tell you what we'll do. We'll take the most popular fantasy book series of the past fifty years, and then turn it into a slightly different but equally popular TV series. Yeah. Shit them right up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if, if you, uh, so this is this is useful. This podcast for two things. If you're reading the books and you want sort of someone to read along with you and sort of help you through the mounds and mounds of character deaths uh, and experience the highs and the lows, then we do that. And also, if you're watching the series and you just sort of want to see what's going on with the book side but you can't be bothered sitting down and reading it, then have a listen to us. <laughs> Basically. Um, right, let's, uh, let's, so this this week, uh, when we last left it, we'd got to a chapter about Sam uh, where he, he was reading about the others. Uh, and This is the chapter we'll start with today. We're going as far as uh a chapter about jamie which begins oh is it no it's a chapter about sansa which begins once when she was just a little girl jeez you
1: shit me up there for a second i was, was like yeah. how many chapters have i not read for this week <laughs> yeah
0: no we're reading as far as a chapter about sansa which begins when she was just a little girl which sounds a bit like the start of a radio 4 documentary or <laughs> drama no. i
1: got 20 quid says so it's going to depart fairly quickly from the radio 4 broadcast style guide what do you reckon <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think you'd be right with that. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's get into it then. So the first chapter we've got for today, Sam is uh, is reading up on the others um, when he sees his mouse. To be honest, there's not really much else to say about the mouse. It disappears pretty quickly. The, <laughs> the interesting thing here, uh, and it was just a, a, a first comparison with the series. Um, it's a, it, the the books in the series uh, sort of the the wall at the moment are pretty much in line with each other, but. Oh. Um, in the series, Pip and Gren have both died. They died in that massive battle at the wall. Yeah. And in the book, they're still very much alive, <laughs> which is really <laughs> odd, because it's almost like the ghosts if you're, to sort of, uh, yeah. if you're struggling to get them both sort of realities together. But they're very much alive and kicking in the book.
1: I like the one where Pip and Gren are still alive to me.
0: Yeah. Well, lucky for you, this is the reality we are existing in now with the Yuck. book. Yes. Um, there's, there's a little uh, sort of ode to, to novels and to books here as well, which um, sort of George R. Martin uh, says through Sam. Um, he says that Sam understood the way he could sometimes fall right into books as if each page was a hole into another world. Yeah. Which is a little... Yeah, That's this a, is why yeah. we love the book.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it is. It is a hole into another world. Like, it's... I feel like the TV series does pretty well at making you fall into, but you sort of hit the bottom a lot sooner with the TV series because they've only got an hour to play with. Whereas I'm spending at least what an hour, an hour and a half reading each little chunk of this, and there's depth mm. and description and all that. And as as the as the wise man said, Matt, Hollywood cannot live up to the power of your imagination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
0: wise <laughs> words have never been roared in a song quite as uh, quite as <laughs> intently as that. Have we tweeted um, that yet, by the way? I don't think so. Yeah, there's a really oh. good um, I read the books. Uh, plus I'll actually... Expletives.
1: You know what? If I can do that, I'm going to do that now. i tweet it now.
0: Cool, okay. There's basically a, a, a music video uh, about Game of Thrones, which is well worth a, a watch, but we'll stick it on the Twitter account. Um, so, at sh- short Live Royal, if you're wondering where, where it is. Um, so, so Sam's sitting there uh, having a look through. He's, he's reading up on the others, and... Uh, and then he has to go to see John who's now he's the boss isn't he John now pay the cost to be the yeah. boss um, <laughs> and and as as Sam arrives, Gilly, who's the uh, wildling uh, girl who's got a child, is leaving looking really upset. Uh, That might become uh, important later. Um, And Jon and Sam discuss politics about how Jon's in a real bind at the moment because they're trying to please two kings. You've got Tywin in the south that they need to keep on side, but he's not helping them directly. And you've got Stannis in the north who is helping them at the moment and making all these demands and they have john's very worried about backing the wrong horsey because if you happen to back the king that i mean you try to take no part at all but you have to help someone at some point and if you give too much help to the king who sort of the wrong horse yeah. that could be the end of the watch
1: yeah and that's no small thing right i mean they're talking about john being like the 998th lord commander of the knight's watch and, you know, it's a, it's, it's in a way this amazing inheritance of kind of being like the chief badass of all badasses. Like people who are so badass that even politics are beneath them sort of thing is the idea mm. of the Night, Night's Watch. And now he's in this place where he's, I mean, he's still, what, he still was he 18, you know, in the mm. book, less than. And he's supposed to be like, yes, no problem. Got it sorted. Gonna do this. Gonna <laughs> do this. Gonna do this. Politics, piece of piss. Like, yeah. I don't know about you, when I was 17, I would have just been like, oh, I don't know, really, I'm I'm here to make the tea, to be honest. That's, uh, <laughs> that's all I'm here for. Sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it seems that like things are going badly for Stannis as well at the moment, because he's trying to get the Northern Lords on side, and he's not having much luck. The only only one of the sort of houses in the north have actually... Uh, replied and said, "We're going to join up with you." And that's the Stark's. No surprise, as uh, no one really yeah. likes them anymore. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say that.
1: <laughs> I really enjoyed that little callback to what three books ago, where it made it clear yeah. the Stark's really were like the wankerish wankers of them. Yeah, yeah, Stannis, my sort of bloke.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the Stark's are in a difficult position because obviously they, um, the 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 head of house was killed by Rob Stark because he was acting up so much. But also, they were never really on side with the Boltons. They weren't sort of part of that rebellion, mm-hmm. so they kind of fall in between two stools. They, they sort of they were already outcast before the Bolton rebellion, and that hasn't really helped them very much since. So they're looking for anybody to help them out. The rest of the North seems a lot more standoffish.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. The
0: yeah. Uh, there's a plan to burn Mance Raider because he's got king's blood, and uh, it's sort um, of it looks like Malisandra thinks that could be some kind of useful. Uh, spell for her so there's another plan there do you know what uh. do you know,
1: I'm kind of waiting for it to be well, we've seen evidence obviously that the red god is one of these like real gods in this continuum with these kind of supernatural powers that have genuine mm. influence and ability but at the same time if this wasn't a fantasy universe and you saw somebody acting as single-mindedly fucking mental as Melisandre does you'd be like it's it's a it's a it's a, a cable TV true crime show waiting to happen. Melisandra used her breasts to put all the men in her power and make them burn people because she believed they had <laughs> royal blood. Coming after the break, why the funeral yeah. pyre didn't work? You know, like, it's. It, this is. I, I suppose I'm just reconnecting with just how crazy Melisandre is after spending some time away from the books and she t- as yeah. a spectacle of mental she does not disappoint
0: yeah and it's funny because Stannis always comes across as being quite pragmatic with this faith he's not he isn't particularly uh, you know he's not much of a fanatic to be honest but he is kind of like a, yeah it seems crazy but it also seems to be getting results like you know all these are the Pretenders to the throne have died after burning a few leeches and um, various other things. And, and if you remember, the one time he um, decided to put her, her to one side was Blackwater, and we all know who that turned out. So he was thinking, <laughs> you know what? I may as well keep. I may as well keep down this path that seems to be working, as crazy as it seems.
1: Yeah, very utilitarian religious maniac, <laughs> Stannis, isn't he? Really?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, John is. It, it turns out the the reason Sam's. Pouring through these books about the others is on John's orders because John wants to know as much about them as possible so they can be, in some ways, prepared for the, um, for the fight. There's already this belief, isn't there, about uh, Dragon Glass, which Stannis is already mining over at Dragonstone. Yeah. Um, and there's also the, there's also these bits and pieces that Sam has found out about um, Valyrian steel being useful, but there isn't very much of that around, and um, and fire as well, as they've seen already that can help drive off the uh, drive off the others
1: mm. all of this stuff there's a bit of me there's a lot of me which really wants to which is really like yeah cool let's hear more about that unfortunately i've been reading this series for too long and i have no faith whatsoever that george is going to give me the slightest crumbs of plot <laughs> in this direction that i actually care about for the rest of this book <laughs> i just I, I honestly do expect this to be the only time that either obsidian like dragonglass or Valyrian steel, or indeed the others, are mentioned in a kind of "I wonder what's going to happen with them" sort of a way, and it's <laughs> going to be it's going to be a long, long walk through the rest of Essos now for Arya. That's my prediction for the rest of the book. That's, <laughs> that's what I expect because if you, you could, because Matt, if you set your expectations low, you cannot be disappointed. I've heard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the uh, in terms of disappointment, Sam is disappointed because uh, he finds out that uh, Jon has got a plan. Uh, which is to send Sam to Old Town to become a maester. cuz uh cuz uh, the, the current one what's he called uh what's the old chap called up at the wall
1: oh um Aaron
0: yeah yeah that guy he he's um He's he's obviously knocking on a bit, and he, he, they need more maesters. So he thinks Sam's a perfect contender. And John was expecting Sam to be well up for this because a it's south in summer, warm and safe. B surrounding yourself with loads of books and learning, so you'd think it'd be a great opportunity. But Sam actually wants to stay at the wall. Yeah, um, and it's interesting here that eventually, when it comes down to it, John sort of gets the commander clothes on and basically says look you're going That's yeah I'm your boss. and, yeah, and it's sort of it this friendship almost he's put on hold isn't it for yeah. for that there
1: yeah and yeah it's an interesting thing really i mean did, did john come off to you as being really cold here or was this kind of like oh he used to be my mate but now he's the boss sort of thing or or do you think this is there's ultimately a certain amount of human warmth that he's practicing here you know like get the fuck away from the wall there's going to be a war here sort of thing like, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably both. I think it is. He's very aware, John, that he needs to be acting. You know, bec- he's very very aware of the position he's got now. Yeah, and that that means he can't be um, as he was before. You know, he, that there are certain responsibilities he's got to take on. Very mature for uh, for his age, as you've already said. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah,
0: um, and then so so the chap's ends with Sam. Um, Sam is leaving, uh, presumably for an old time. I think he's taken a bit of a detour along the way um, mm. as, as as a useful sort of uh character
1: incarnation of the way the plot's going at the moment. Um, <laughs> you, you so, mean i want him to go somewhere but he's actually going somewhere else to no discernible purpose at great length you amaze me
0: <laughs> okay yeah so uh next up we, we go to aya and we last saw aya she was hopping on a boat getting she was she was peace out i'm out of here I'm <laughs> A boat. i'm off somewhere random um and she is uh, It turns out she's going to Bravo Oh we, we kind of knew she was going there But she's arriving now in Bravos. Mm. Um, and it's kind of I mean it's I felt a little bit of apprehension for her here Just because she's still just this little girl mm. And she's on this boat Which you know there's this captain who's just Doing her a favour because he's kind of afraid of her because she's got this coin. Yeah, but there's no one look, actually looking after her, yeah. and she's just about to arrive in this weird foreign town, foreign yeah. city.
1: But but it's all right, Matt, because we've seen in the past whenever you feel that sense of foreboding in your gut about the well-being of a character, it's always all right. <laughs> in A Song of Ice, it's always fine.
0: Yeah, and there's this absolutely badass statue um, which welcomes you into Bravos called the Titan of Bravos. It's this enormous, um, you know, it's almost like a, like a, like the old sort of uh, mythical Colossus. Yeah. Um, I mean it was actually I mean the Colossus was a real thing, but it, I don't think it was quite the same as it's you know, the story that's grown up around it. Yeah. It's basically this massive statue straddling a, a, like the the uh, the way into a into a bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And it's also it's it's there as an impressive structure to sort of show the power and wealth of this city. But it's also a useful, practical, defensive structure. Oh, you see, as she goes in, there are sort of loads of little slits where there are um, archers and there's some murder holes beneath where they sort of pour boiling oil out if if people they don't like are arriving.
1: I loved this. I really did. Because you could almost hear George Martin like reading about the Colossus of Rhodes and putting down the encyclopedia or the history book and just going. (laughs) I can do better than that. They <laughs> missed a trick with that. And like, you know what he needs? Yeah. He needs a murder hole on the cock. That's what he needs. <laughs> and that's what they've got. It's the only place you could reasonably put somewhere you're going to pour boiling oil out of. So leading to the the, the entertaining possibility that this particular <laughs> Titan, right, when when they're really, really, really winning, when they're like, like their ultimate, we, you know, go big or go home play when they're being attacked in the <laughs> harbour... It, it must look like the Titans shitting himself when they do it, must not it? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. It is a weird image, isn't uh-huh. it? If I think thinking about it actually happening, <laughs> um, it...
1: when the t- and you, like this, I can't believe you missed a trick, George. You can do one better than Colossus of Rhodes. I can do one better than you. You should have done a song, a minstrel singing about you know when the Titan shits himself, it's time to run away or something. <laughs> That famous, that famous song. That famous song. <laughs> when the Titan shits himself, it's time to run away. Yes, I think that would sell. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I remembers all these stories that she heard from old Nan, who was the uh, the, the woman who used to sort of look after them in Winterfell, mm. about how the, there are all these tales of the Titan coming to life uh, when when Bravos is in danger and sort of. Obviously, saving the city and then seems feasting on highborn
1: girls as a reward. Um, (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. another cheery story. For it's amazing how how many how many things did Old Nan actually appear in 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 like the first book way back? It's like half of the first book she was like a bit character. But the number of characters who still go, "Oh, Old Nan told me," and I wonder if she meant to irrevocably fuck up some of the leading elite. Of her country, <laughs> or if that was yeah. just a pleasant side effect of being who she was, I don't know.
0: Yeah, you remember Setter She doesn't, she never gets a mention anymore. Does yeah, she, she <laughs> was a practical one. We were supposed to be teaching them. Yeah. All they remember is old Nan's story. That's amazing. Well, it's because Setter
1: Mordane spent her entire time telling Aya off for being insufficiently girlish, right? Yeah, like, she was, she was like, You're not wearing the right stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you make
0: of Bra So, Bravas is as a city, it's very much like a, it's like Venice, isn't it? It's a bustling um, merchant city with loads of canals and uh, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I really liked it. Again, this is it's a really lovely little riff on Venice, isn't it? Um, mm. And I've never been to Venice, but again, it's, it's sort of it felt like Venice, kind of but bigger. Or Venice but full of competing religions, which I thought was really interesting. You know, uh, yeah. you, you know Venice is like as an Italian city, obviously, uh, like most of the churches you encounter there are going to be Christian, they're going to be Catholic. But I love the idea of a city growing up with the same kind of vibrancy and all the rest of it as Venice has, but with like mosques and temples and gurdwaras and 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 churches and everything. Mm,
0: yeah. They're very much in sort of equal opportunity religion. Worshippers, here, aren't, aren't they? they? Yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody everybody has a go. Um including the, the house of black and white, which seems to be this kind of semi religious place. Uh, which Arya is dropped off at because that's where a sort of coin gets her to. And she she enters this door, it's like a black and white door and goes into this sort of uh murky, quiet, uh sombre temple like place which has got loads of statues and we find out later that all these statues are the various religions' versions of death. So you've got the sort of this guy in a hooded cloak is one of the statues, which is the stranger, which is the sort of one of the seven, which is which is representing death, and the various other ones knocking around. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there's this sort of pool in the middle of water, or some kind—it's not water; it's some kind of liquid which people are drinking to die. People, people, basically come to this house to die.
1: To and, poison um, themselves as well, not just not just yeah. they are dying, so they come here for somewhere peaceful. They turn up and they're like, "It's a nice vibe in here, isn't it?" Might, might top <laughs> yeah. myself, might, yeah. That's the thing to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and it's so that this place, it's all about death. This place, isn't it? And um, this priest comes up to uh, Aya, and after this conversation with her about what she wants to do and how she wants to be a part of this, because she looks away and thinks, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be a part of this." And um, and he's like, "Do you fear death?" And she's like, "No." And he reveals his face, and at first it, it looks like he's just got a skull. It's just like a, he's just a skeleton. And Aya isn't the least bit perturbed by this, and that seems to be in some way passing the test. And then he turns into a kindly old man and says, "Right, you're a, you sort of, you're in." If you like, yeah, 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 yeah. She actually eats the worm that's coming out of his eye eye socket. So tries to.
1: this was a really weird. Which, by the way, they didn't do in the TV series. In the TV series, there was just. Well, there was another thing that happened, which is presumably going to happen next week in the book, so I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> a sentence which I expect to utter quite a lot during this series. But, um, but this was another example of this, this sort of weird, sort of houses of the undying, kind of halfway between a supernatural experience and a bad acid trip type thing. Mm. Like in the, in the first of the three prologues last week, where, um, where your man, what was his name, Pate... Uh, in uh, mm. in Old Town, where he kind of the end of his thing was this sort of nebulously described: is it really real, or is it just figurative, or is he, you know, is it magic thing about like the ground turning to water beneath his feet? And then there's mm. this where where this what is she nine? and her and her, her response to somebody turning out to be a skull with a worm crawling out of its eye socket is to try and eat the worm and yeah. and that was the right thing to do somehow <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really really weird sort of you know it's like he's kind of finally come around to the fact that he just wanted to write a sort of sort of fear and loathing in Westeros book full of <laughs> really weird hallucinations the whole time what did you make of it like are you interested in it going in this direction does that sound good to you
0: yeah, I think um, it shows that she, because she's cause she's seen so so much horror over the last sort of uh, however long she's been on the run. Um, she's it's funny because you as you're reading through all that, you're thinking that she's being sort of her character's really being chipped away at and destroyed, and that it's sort of it's making her into a weaker person, sort of morally in terms of the in terms of having humanity but the the reverse of that is that it seems to be a part of this order whatever it is um you need to strip that kind of stuff away so it actually is actually a benefit losing that level of humanity and that connection with the world mm. is actually something that you know the the people who are closely involved with whatever this whatever this sect or whatever it is um need to be like that so it's actually almost like that year or so of hell on the road is actually been her in training for whatever purpose she's going to fulfil in the rest of the book
1: yeah and that's an interesting direction to take it but again sort of like the um, uh, like the fact that the last time we saw Tyrion he shot his father in the crotch and strangled this woman that he'd been in love with for three novels I'm a bit mm. nervous about that because there are a lot of unsympathetic characters series and very few sympathetic ones and yeah, yeah. I is one of the sympathetic ones and mm. uh, certainly by contrast with Sansa, I think. Um, by contrast with almost anybody, really. So I'm like, oh, good, she's going to go to this dark place. Well, you know, we needed a bit more of that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, a bit, I'm nervous about it, but again, it's his story to tell, right? So I, I'm going to trust him that it's going to come out all right. But right now, I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, good. M- more stuff. I'm not really going to enjoy while it's happening.
0: Yeah, this is this is part of the and part of the difficulty. I think with Feast for Crows is that in the Storm of Swords and the books before the first three books really he does kill off a lot of a lot of the characters are sort of the good guys if you like mm. get killed that die don't they and it's almost the first three books is almost like a story about how the good guys always die yeah and the problem is that often means you're left with either building up new characters from a standing start mm. to find yourself some good guys again yeah or or sort of redeeming other characters um or you just stuck with a really dark book and it's what it's how he sort of i think a lot of Feast for crows is him trying to hack his way out of that corner
1: yeah um yeah i definitely I, de- I definitely have a sense of there's some there's a certain amount of hacking on here um hmm. i'm i'm with him for yeah. it because you know i reckon he knows how to get back to the right path which most authors don't so hmm. so you know cool like i'm in uh, but i uh, yeah i am a bit like if you're going to make it as bleak as it's been so far george you know <sighs> Risky, risky.
0: Yeah, it's also. I I suppose it is interesting also to see grey characters though sometimes, and there are even characters like as we're going to come on to uh, Cersei, who you sort of spend the first few books hating. She's never a sympathetic character, but I, I I sometimes find there are elements where you can see that's going to that must be
1: pretty hellish for her. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and given what's happened to her, you know, this is realistic. I'm not saying it's a departure of a character, I'm just saying I still mm. don't see why, you know, my, my kind of patient has been running thin with it for quite a while. And mm. if he's if he's gone through two books of her being dicked around in every every conceivable alehouse in Westeros, simply in order for her to turn into a horrible character, I'm a bit like, well, there are quicker ways of doing that, aren't there, mm. Um. But at the same, but again, like you've got it, like you say, you've got to have the rise and you've got to have the fall. And one of the things George is really good at is introducing complexity to characters who so just straightforwardly evil.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of just straightforwardly evil, the next chapter is Cersei. Whee uh... there's a segue,
1: <laughs> Matt. You see?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, this is Tywin Lannister's funeral, and. Uh, it's funny, they're getting ready to go to the set, um, to sort of pay their respects, Cersei and Tommen, the, the young king. And there's this little things like, as they're on the way over there, Cersei says, you know, sit up straight and draw the curtains of the of the, of the sort of wagon that they're in or whatever, and other litter. And, um, and he's really obedient and meek and yeah. worries Cersei that he's so well behaved because kings are supposed to be a bit more willful <laughs> and what that means for his ability to govern these unruly lords when he come when he sort of comes of age
1: it's almost as if he's had some horrifyingly overbearing self-important willful <laughs> and pointlessly domineering presence in his life since the first moment he drew <laughs> breath <clears throat>
0: Yeah, but having said that, um, she's the same mother who was the mother of
1: Joffrey, and yeah, he but was so, the absolute opposite. Yeah, but so what she's I mean, saying he here, crazy yeah, well. exactly, is like, <laughs> the only good way for one of my children to turn out is so mental that his extremely vulnerable <laughs> uncle, who clearly has the longest fuse in the world, poisons him and then flees the country at his own risk. <laughs> Like, that's, that that for her is a win as a parent. And I have to, I have to question the reasoning behind that.
0: Yeah. She has got a point, though, hasn't she? That you can't be nice and meek and trying to please everybody if you want to be a good ruler no absolutely as as lovely as tommen is he's just not leadership material at the moment is he
1: no i agree he's also what is he nine so you know um so i'm not certain there are many nine-year-olds in the world who are leadership material (laughs) certainly joffrey wasn't one of them but um but i mean yeah you you are right i'm just like well she kind of says that as an external observer as if mm. this most fanatically committed of mothers, you know, she's turned the maternal instinct into an insanity, uh, which is mm. quite a trick. Um, but she, it's as if she doesn't really believe that she's had any effect whatsoever on the on the character of her children, which is just crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose as we, as we keep seeing. Um sort of cold light of day introspection about her own feelings <laughs> isn't something that Cersei does very often. I'm still waiting
1: for it, Matt. You know what? I still believe. I'm waiting for the day when she yeah. when she thinks, I, I might have done that badly. You never know. You never know.
0: Um, so they go to see Tywin's uh, body. And because he's starting to rot already, his, uh, his sort of lips are starting to turn up at the sides. It looks like he's half-smiling, which uh, Cersei see, feels is sort of detracting a bit from his sort of overbearing, domineering presence. <laughs> um, she, she also blames, pa- <laughs> yeah, She also blames Pycelle for that. And uh, she's a great line here. She's, she just thinks that uh, Grandmaster Pycelle is a uh, is as useful is as useful as nipples on a breastplate which
1: is uh, right <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen them though haven't we for some reason they always get beaten out but anyway
0: <laughs> you could also say nipples on a man i don't really see what the point of them are other than they would look weird if you didn't have them
1: well i mean but that's true of everything isn't it you know, what's the point what of the, the little little? Te- well, we would look weird of everything. Like, if, you know, <laughs> what's normal is what's normal. That's like, there's no reason at all. To, yeah, we better put some nipples on there, otherwise it will look weird. Why, know. <laughs> yeah, you know, be a bit try weird. Trying to think,
0: there's something to, to that though. Everything else, so you got fingers, so you can pick things up, and <laughs> yeah, what but why not
1: four, three fingers instead of four fingers, or why? Why have we got <laughs> eyebrows, or you know? <laughs> well
0: eyebrows actually isn't that to stop sweat running into your eyes
1: Uh, I've never been in that position Matt myself I wouldn't know
0: (laughs) you never sweated no I don't
1: Uh, well you know working out working out it's for other people isn't it um. <laughs> uh, we 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 we're going down a blind alley here, aren't we? Let's, <laughs> go, let's get back to yeah, the. Yeah, I was I was wondering why you would taken us down a particular little discursus <laughs> on the existence of male nipples and their use.
0: Yeah, it was
1: just, it was just a little bugbear I had it's for a while. Why are they there? First question you if ask, anyone... Matt, isn't it when you appear before the Creator? Honestly, nips. Why? Why on a man? Well, in, yeah. <laughs>
0: In the absence of a direct dialogue with the creator right now, um, <laughs> if anyone on if anyone out there knows what the hell nipples are for in a man, can you uh, email Shark Podcast at gmail dot com and just put my mind to rest, please? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't been, believe we're
1: using the social media feed for that. Brilliant, say,
0: you know. Okay, so um,
1: where were we? Oh yeah, Tywin Lannister, dead, still dead, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the- <laughs> Which is not a given in this series, is it? Though no, <laughs> people yeah. staying dead, you know, it is actually worth reiterating it.
0: Yeah, throughout this chapter, Tywin. Um, I mean, we said earlier on that his reputation took a bit of a wobble with the, the manner that he died. Also, his funeral. Um, he, the body's starting to smell, so you have these like mourners coming in and sort of covering the noses and stuff. And it, again, it's just a bit of a. It's, it's another. Uh, I don't know chip away at his memory really isn't it
1: yeah it is and and I think this whole little strand is played really well because it's Tywin Lannister who's been like the ultimate badass in this universe mm. like the one thing that's been completely unquestionable is his personal power and it turns out he can die whilst having a ship killed by somebody like one-sixth his size who he's always hated and never trusted and you know and de- decomposes like everybody else like mm. Yeah, fairly yeah, sobering,
0: you know. Yeah, it's like you said in the last books, the death comes to us all. Yeah, sort of, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are a few um, interesting things that happen at the sort of wake here. One is that Lancel turns up, and uh, Jember. He's the uh, nephew or niece, uh, uh, yeah, uh, nephew of Cersei's, who she was also sleeping with during this sort of book two. And um, he looks like he's sort of becoming this sort of. He's got a newfound piety. Um, He's got really into the sort of religion side of things and she's worried about two things here. One is that he might start getting mouthy in his confessions about a them both of them sleeping together, but she said she thinks she can sort of she can probably get away with that anyway by just laughing it off as typical boasting. Um, <laughs> Why you boast what's, about sleeping with your aunt? What, so yeah, so. exactly,
1: exactly. Could not have said it better myself. <laughs> Something wrong in this girl's yeah. head, I'm telling you. He, he's everybody will think he's boasting. Everybody would be proud to have slept with me. My brother certainly is. Oh, yeah.
0: She's, she's also worried though about the fact that she put him up to giving King Robert so much wine that he got yeah. ridiculously drunk and killed by a boar. Yeah. And this, I think this is the first time she kind of, I mean, it's always been something we've suspected, but she's actually outright admitting it to herself here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and and to Lancel as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Mace Tyrell, uh, Tyrell, the uh, the guy, sort of the the Lord of Highgarden. Who, it's funny actually. Uh, this is one of the characters that I get a very different impression of in the book, as opposed to the se- in the series. He's almost a comedy character, sort of bumbling around. Yeah, just, he's um,
1: totally laughable. Just,
0: yeah, and uh, it's, it's just in this incredibly powerful and wealthy position, but he sort of just does what his mum tells him and <laughs> is generally generally useless. Like. In the um, in in the book, I see him as more a uh, a bit. He's is sort of very pompous and loud and full of self-aggrandisement. But he he's, he also strike, struck me as possibly quite dangerous and quite strong as well. And someone yeah. who needed to be handled. Yeah. Um, and you never get any sense of that menace in the in the series. It's something I was trying to remember when I'm
1: reading it in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And he's he has a sense of pomposity in both but in the tv series it's played for laughs and i don't blame them because the laughs are fairly light on the ground (laughs) yeah um but he's right like his political position here is is i like the books a bit more for kind of making it making it stick a bit more it's a bit more frightening you know
0: yeah and he barrels into this wake basically and goes straight up to Cersei and says oh yeah so my you know one of my uh guys is on the way over to become master of coin um and and Cersei's like, whoa, 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 hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Sees this as a as a threat. It's funny because he says it's an agreement that they that he'd already made with Tywin. Yeah. And we'll never know if that's actually true, I think. Yes. Um and it could be one of two things here. It's either it's another Cersei just fucking things up yeah. when it's a useful appointment, or it is actually Cersei's paranoia is working for her here because it is Mace trying to pull a fast one a bit and yeah. just getting someone else on the counter Im- before. You can imagine him doing settled.
1: that, can't you? Just sort of like, What yeah. no, it's agreement. Yeah, we had it, yeah. Talked to, well, I mean I tell you i tell you tell you when it happened, is we talked and he got it from the table and said, My word, I've got a dump on deck that could choke a donkey. I'm just going to the toilet. <laughs> and then I heard a thump and, and, and that was it. So, um basically his dying wish, really, Cersei <laughs> It's like that uh, episode of Alan Partridge where the guy
0: dies before he signs yeah. a contract. Here. Oh, Chris, let me just help you sign that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Cersei uh, decides no, he's not going to be Master of Coin. She's going to appoint this guy called Lord Rosby, who um, who's the very picture of a very sick man. He's got this cough, which turns out um, at one point she sees that he's coughing up blood and he's just trying to hide it. So he's not. He doesn't
1: look like he's going to be around for long. Yeah. Um, Definitely somebody you want it, in the in the decision making body for a, a kingdom in flux.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that immediately he always he, he he already starts talking about removing some of the people sort of serving in the treasury at the moment and replacing them with his own guys. Yeah, and it's all these people that Littlefinger's brought in, yeah. and you just think if the treasury's been run in such a it's been run in a very ropey way to bring in money that doesn't really exist and keep the finances going. Removing a couple of cogs from that could be a very costly move yeah, if you yeah. don't know what you're doing. Yeah,
1: no kidding. I mean, yeah, King's Landing too big to fail, eh?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so we also uh, after the after the wake, uh, Cersei meets with Kyburn, who's this this maester who was kicked out of um I don't know the guild of Maesters or whatever cuz he was cuz of his experiments that he was doing. He actually elaborates a bit in this chapter and says that um, when he was at old town learning to be a maester, like I was doing his sort of doctor's part of it if you like. Yeah. Um, he everybody experiments on dead bodies um to work out how best to heal people and he started doing that on living bodies and that was where they drew the line and said uh yeah maybe maybe this
1: this line of work isn't for you which i I, that sort of surprises me a little bit because it's not like westeros is full of like it's not as if they had ethical concerns is it? can you imagine Hmm. you know in this world where nobody matters and life is cheap for them to be like, mm. actually, human life is sanctified, and so I don't think we'll be true here. So mm. what precisely was he doing to the living bodies such that even this bunch of basically magicians was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. No, mate. Yeah. No, on your bike. Sorry, too far. Too far.
0: Yeah, you get the feeling that Kai Burns leaving out a few details of exactly what kind yeah. of experiments he's doing. He I experimented on
1: living bodies. Yeah, yeah. What
0: kind of experiments? Um, uh, you know. Well, inconclusive
1: <laughs> ones, to be honest. I was sacked before they got finished. Anyway, um, pass me yeah. that. Pass me. Pass me that. Just, uh, over there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, um, it turns out like the mountain's still alive, and they can hear him roaring in agony throughout the night. Um, and this is this is obviously a third length of time. It must be a week, at least a week or so after after um. He was, you know, the Oberyn fight now. Yeah, and it turns out there's this type of carefully thickened, possibly magically thickened poison, which is slowly spreading through his body and Ooh. killing him in a in a slow, agonising way. Yeah. Um. And Cersei allows Kyburn to sort of start experimenting on the on the poor guy who's not suffering <laughs> enough already. Dear um, me! It's all taking a bit of a dark turn, there, isn't it? It
1: certainly yeah. has. Well, Kyburn seems to be this really weird sort of, kind of but deeply kind of menacing presence that mm. it's the it's the you know it's the classic it's like the nuclear scientist of the 20th century who, you know or it's it's jurassic park you know he's so busy seeing if he could he doesn't stop to think if he should and that kind of yeah. amorality is exactly what cersei needs to open up this whole new interesting frontier of human experimentation that she's never mm-hmm. thought of doing before you can almost hear her drumming her fingers together and going magnificent another way to be horrible to human beings Cut him open and let me watch.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um after Kyburn scuttles away to get on with his experiments, um, Sir Kevin Lannister turns up and this is uh Cersei's decided that she wants him to be the hand of the king now, which seems like a very good appointment. Problem is she originally asked Jamie and yes. Sir Kevin is he's obviously there's obviously he's he's been sort of number two to um to tie in all his life, yeah. But there's obviously quite a lot of the um, shrewdness about him, about his brother that is, um, is is evident in Kevin as well. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so he he sees which way the wind's blowing with Cersei a bit here, and he says he'll become hang, hand of the king only if she leaves and goes to Casterly Rock, <laughs> so he can actually <laughs> get on with things <laughs> without her over his shoulder. You would though, obviously, wouldn't you? If you had anywhere close oh, yeah. to the
1: amount of pull enough to get her out of the city, you'd be like, yes, on one condition. Fuck off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and obviously uh, she's she she doesn't want to do that. And there's, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant conversation, this, because she gets just completely outmaneuvered and out-argued by her uncle here, not she? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's putting forward these points. She's saying, like, you know, oh... Um, He's saying, Well, why don't you just get Jamie to do it then? And she says, Oh, well, I, you know, he's, 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 he's a fool. You know, he's, he's, he's not the right material for it, even though she did ask him first. And he says, Oh, well, why did you ask him? Oh, I wasn't thinking. And he says, Well, then you should leave and leave sort of running the country to people who do think before they actually act. And it's sort of (laughs) a massive smackdown, isn't it? (laughs) Great
1: argument, though, isn't it? Fantastic argument. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, he also, I mean, he turns it down. Mm. And as he's leaving, he even gives her a bit of advice. And it shows that how good a... I think this shows how good a Hand he maybe could have been because he says, you know, if you want to promote somebody to serve Hand instead, choose Randall Tarley or Mathis Rowan, these two really important lords who are actually technically underneath Mace Tyrell. And he says, you know, they're both quite loyal. And if you put them in that position, they'll be loyal to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whilst at the same time, you know, um, Tyrrell will be happy with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she can't see past the fact that they're Tyrrell men. So she doesn't want to go near any of them. She needs people who are Lannisters, basically. Yeah. Um, and again, it just shows a difference between... It shows who should really be... Running the le- running things now, if you want to uh, yeah. things to go smoothly.
1: Yeah, and it shows that you can that being good at politics isn't the same as being good at leadership. You know, mm. it's it's like you know you can win the bar fight, but you can't rebuild the bar. And Mm. that's, she's definitely, she's the person who wins the bar fight and then just passes out in the ruins. Yeah, And I'm kind of, I'm curious to see what's going to happen now that, you know, she is moving very efficiently and very effectively to consolidate power that, uh, you know, Mm. a power that probably isn't going to do the country any good, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I I like the fact that, Sir Kevin as well, see, I got the impression that he um, obviously loved his brother a lot. And was very close with Tywin, but in the same, similar to even more so actually than Tywin, he was just massively disappointed in the kids, and he he dis, he he hates Cersei. He really dislikes her, yeah. and I don't think he thinks much of Jaime either. I, I don't know if, it, and to be honest, actually, when Tyrion was waiting trial, he was very sort of hard on him as well, wasn't he? Um he was yeah. he just seems to be constantly disappointed on Tywin's behalf for how <laughs> his kids just keep fucking things up.
1: Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? It's like he's kind of Tywin's paternal conscience, whereas Tywin just kind of let it let it all go because they were his offspring and that means everything to him. Kevin is mm. like you are no fruit of my loins, so I can see you for the drunken, feckless, incestuous waste of space you both are. You know, yeah. um, but he really loved <laughs> his brother, right? So you know, he didn't do all of that stuff. He, you know, he didn't yeah. get forthright and so on. Just kind of let it happen. And now, 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 I don't know. Is he making the sort of the wise choice here in saying, you know, you know, the kingdom is just there's no chance the kingdom is going to function properly. I'm going back to Castle Rock where all of the power and the money is, and I'm just going to wait it out.
0: Mm. yeah well i I think he's he's shrewd insofar as he knows him trying to he he does he he knows that running the kingdom is going to be hard enough without constantly trying to maneuver his niece at every turn and if he and and he could he could probably take on one but not both Mm -hmm. so he's sort of i think he's probably making the best of it there it's interesting about how much he dislikes so this um parting shot where well, he basically says, you know, um, she says, "Oh, what you got? You, what you're going to abandon the king?" And he says, "Well, he'll have his mother around." And then he sort of looks at her and says, "And his father."
1: Ooh! Um, <laughs> yeah. Drops ah. mic,
0: leaves room. <laughs> yeah. After getting wine thrown in his face, yeah, uh, so she has a moment as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that dynamic I think is quite interesting. I like the. Um, I like the Sir Kevin character in this. Mm. Again, he, he's another one actually who in the in the series I don't think they, they've got the casting quite right. He seems a bit too deferential. Um, I was he always struck me as a bit more of a intimidating character in the uh, in the book.
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like he's he's patrician. You know what I mean? He's not a badass, yeah. but you wouldn't want to yeah. mess with him. You know, he's the sort of guy who would like happily sign a piece of paper condemning ten thousand people to death. Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I know what you mean He's no he's no Tywin Lannister But he's definitely a sort of You'd think twice before to, You know, tumbling with sort of thing mm. um,
0: Speaking of thinking twice before going toe-to-toe with Jamie Lannister um, The the hardest of the Lannisters Until he uh, lost his hand uh, <laughs> Now <laughs> fifth hardest <laughs> Yeah now, now he probably was struggling In a battle against Tommen By the same. Yeah uh, <laughs> Um but yeah, Jamie's going through his own grief um over his he clearly blames himself for um for his father's death. He is standing this long vigil by Tywin's body. It's quite interesting. it's quite good this chapter, I I liked it because he you go down memory lane a bit with Jamie and you see a few of the very recent and and more sort of in the past things that have happened mm. so one is um he remembers sort of forcing Varys to free Tyrion it turns out that Jamie went to Varys's room basically put a knife to his throat and said you're gonna free Tyrion wow and uh and Varys did it yeah yeah um and then he, he immediately spirals down into a memory a much earlier memory of sort of during the sort of war with um with Robert Baratheon when Rhaegar Targaryen was still knocking about. Yeah, his last memory of him, Um, and Jaime was sort of told to guard the king while uh, Rhaegar, the prince, sort of rode off to battle at the Trident, where he ends up getting killed. Yeah, and um, Jaime's gutted about being left behind. But um, there's also this this conversation he remembers with Rhaegar, where the prince was planning to make changes when he got back, and it seems like it's it's inferred or implied that um, that Rhaegar was going to supplant the Mad King anyway. Um, because he realised things were getting out of hand and it's sort of the, you know, what thing, might the have way been. things could have gone. What yeah, might have yeah, been. Yeah, exactly.
1: hey? yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And... um I think it's this really interesting thing. This is what we're talking about earlier on with like characters who who deepen and, and cease to be you know one dimensionally bad. Even though they like Jamie Lannister has done hateful thing. but at the same time you know mm. you see this whole kind of fear complex he has about being somebody who you know who abandons his responsibility. Um, and it's very interesting that in the in the TV series. Uh, Cersei spends all her time blaming him for Tywin's death whereas in the book he doesn't tell her and he spends his time blaming himself Um, Mm. but in both he turns down the the role of Hand of the King and for me Mm. it plays much stronger in the book because you can totally see now why he turns it away because he's you know he's he's you saw it in the last book where the sword he makes and gives away to Brienne is called Oath Keeper. And, um, you know, and, and you know, he has warmth towards her because he sees in her something that he's not capable of doing, which is acting with loyalty. Um, mm. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's it really deep stuff, actually. And I really liked it. It was really yeah, profound. Mm. I also, I have to say, actually, I also thought the bit where he um, where he describes how difficult it is to climb through secret passages with only one hand. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> like like there was there's definitely some of the old kind of like acerbic Jamie there and like how many yeah. people would kind of tell that story about themselves, you know, frustratedly but seeing the humour of it, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. Um the actual nuts and bolts of, of getting Tyrion out, um there are two things here, one from this chapter and one from the chapter before that I haven't mentioned yet. Mm. Um it looks like Varys was um was also doubling as this head jailer who was never there. Because um, the, the, the I, I, it seemed to me anyway from the way that this jail has been described and the way Jamie, as he remembers it, says, "Oh yeah, well, it felt I felt like a bit of a fool's errand to be asking about where this jail has gone when I know full, full well who it is." <laughs> um, that it's just Varys sort of doubling up <laughs> and um, having that. And that would make sense, the fact that Varys has such access to the black cells when Ned Stark was down there in book one and things like that. He's been able to come and go because he's effectively been playing the part of this jailer. Yeah. Um, called Rugen. Yeah. Um, and also, the Kyburn says in the last chapter that he did a search of the cell, like Rugen's cell. Yeah. And found this old coin from, which is basically from Highgarden. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. What, what, how do you think that builds? On? I mean, it's a, it's just a really old coin, basically. Yeah. So, and I think Cersei makes a connection to High Garden, but do you think there's a, do you think there's a sort of, there is possibly some involvement there that we just don't know about?
1: Could be. Although you know, it's not as if they had much to gain from killing Tywin, right? Or mm. setting Tyrion loose. They, they're the only people in the entire kingdom that are just profiting hand over fist from the sort of you know, the fact that the Lannisters like them. They're providing all of these. You know all of these alliances through marriage, none of which have been cemented yet. Plus, the coin is—I mean, I th- for me—it's a sign of Cersei's extreme paranoia because mm. the the coin yeah. is like is 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 thin and old, and it's as if it's as if in. In, it's as if in some old city, you know, York or Worcester or something, like, you like you turn over, you know, turn over a piece of your potato patch, and you find some Roman coin, and somebody comes mm. through and prosecutes you for the the unlawful, unlawful crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You're like, well, mm. I think you've probably made a bit too much of a leap there, haven't you? You know, like it's just mm. at a certain point, artifacts are artifacts.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be the case here because it seems quite clear what's happened, what have happened? Yeah, is that Jamie forced Varys to? To actually release him, so quite how you can get some kind of Tyrell involvement in there seems very, very difficult. Mm. Um, so during this long vigil, um, Cersei actually sort of sneaks into the sept to ask Jamie again to be hand of the king, mm. and because it was the first time was at Tywin's deathbed, mm. and um, and they had that argument, and Jamie turns it down again, mm. and continues the. Um, continues the vigil. Throughout this chapter as well, he's sort of, the memory of that conversation he had with Tyrion where Tyrion basically said about Cersei that she'd been sleeping around, Mm. keeps going back to him again and again, and you can see that it's playing on his mind, especially whenever he sees her and interacts with Cersei now.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much, and that's I mean, it's very strange that on the one hand, that's a dynamic that you understand very well, you know, it's one of the oldest stories ever told, this kind of, this idea of a jealous lover and so on, but working out how it functions when the two lovers in question are brother and sister, like you know, nobody really has a kind of model for how to expect that that vibe to play out. So mm. so it's very interesting for me it's a very interesting little thing. Um like I, you know, yeah. on the one hand i'm very familiar with it. On the other hand I'm like, ah, what's gonna happen now?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a. it looks like it turns out that this this sort of funeral for Tywin has been taking place over a number of days and people keep coming back to the sept Day on day to continue to pay respects, mm. and obviously the smell's only getting worse as that's happening. Mm. Um, it seems like a, a strange way to handle things, considering. I suppose once you've said you're doing seven days of sort of respects, you got, you can't just cancel it three days in because yeah. the corpse is beginning to stink. Yeah, but um, that's very much what's happening here. Yeah, and this 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 visit, Tommen actually starts retching and runs out in tears, and it's sort of like a oh shit, this is supposed to be the king. Yeah, like it's uh <laughs> Uh,
1: it's you understand it though, don't you? Nine year old boy mm. forced to stand over and smell the decomposing body of his presumably beloved grandfather, and act as though it's <laughs> not a big deal.
0: Yeah, and uh, so this ends with him running out, and Jamie actually goes after him and and sort of calms him down a bit. Mm. And there's a little plan that Jamie and Cersei come come up with here, which seems quite a useful idea to get Mace Tyrell out of the picture for a while and it's to send him on um, a mission to retake Storm's End. So something that is easy to forget at this stage, although the war's effectively over, it's still going on in places. Stannis is still obviously kicking around. Storm's End is still still belongs to Stannis, which is on the mainland. Mm. Dragonstone still belongs to Stannis, which is just off the mainland. So, you know, even though... And obviously you've still got the, um, the war kicking on in the Riverlands as well hmm. there's still elements of sort of the old Stark bannermen who are still fighting on yeah. so it's still a very dangerous place and a very unstable time for the for power in, in King's Landing yeah. and one of the ways they're trying to consolidate the, the Lannister position is to send Mace Tyrell off on a sort of guts or glory mission to take Storm's End which he's been after yeah. He's been after doing something sort of dramatic and, and military-like for a while. So everybody's happy. He can he gets out of the capital so they can actually get rid of him for a bit. Yeah. And he gets to sort of do something useful for once.
1: Stupidest thing you ever heard, though, isn't it? Like, like you, you're in this position where you're running the place and other people are doing the dying. but And you've got all of the money. But you decide that the thing to do is to go out there and try and take this castle, which was taken, by the way, is still held, and was taken by the guy who now has it, by kind of weird supernatural means. Mm, Do you, yeah. know, you know, not not too sure about that one, Mace. I'm not certain it's a straight in and out sort of <laughs> assault job yeah. on the castle, really.
0: Yeah, I suppose the way he would look at it is that it's this um, sort of cut-off castle which is you know fairly well defended but it's got I i don't know not that many people there compared to the army that they've got now it's almost like a mop-up job but he can claim that he's won this great victory as well and presumably when he returns having taken the castle he will be in a much stronger position to consolidate his position then Mm -hmm. because he will be the only person there who's actually um commanded a a massive victory in, in sort of I don't know, recently. You'll have the sort of Tarlies and stuff as well, knocking about. But they're, again, they're his men as well. Because mm-hmm. I think the principal sort of generals and battle winners, yeah. most of them have died now, haven't they? Tywin's died, the mountains died, and he was the sort of main general for the Lannisters. Yeah. So there is a power vacuum in terms of sort of saying, I am the military commander of this whole thing.
1: Yeah, and I can definitely see, you know, he's he knows how to turn a profit, Mace, so I could definitely see why you might think he's about to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. But... Mm, You know, I'm not too sure about it, Uh, but maybe I'd have a stronger image of that if if all the people who were my vehicles to see the war through uh, hadn't died. (laughs) <laughs> like I was thinking, you know, we're talking about the idea of this war still going on, and it's still, you know, it's a conflict situation and stuff. And I'm, I'm willing to go along with that. You know, I'm willing to. That's that's something that I'm, I'm bang alongside. But everybody I knew who would tell me about that has died. So I, mm. I now have no idea what the war is like in the country. I think that's a bit of a problem.
0: Mm. Well, uh, George has got you back because the the next chapter and final one we're doing today is about Brienne, mm. and she uh, is searching for Sansa. Um, and in so doing, he's doing a bit of a walking tour of uh, the battle-torn lands of uh, Westeros. Mm. And uh, she, she's on her way up to Duskendale, which is... Um, Duskendale's quite an interesting place because it, in the sort of height of the, the war in the first book, it's this place that... Do you remember when the Northmen were, were well on top? Mm-hmm. They um, Some of them got sort of dispatched to go raiding Duskendale. Yeah. Um, to sort of fill the boots basically as a thank you for sort of helping out so far yeah it was just just before things started going massively to shit for the northmen yeah and it was this massive defeat for i think it was the um it was primarily the the glowers and the car involved in it for the north and um I love this the fact that she she arrives at Duskendale and it's getting back on its feet now after this massive war and massive battle yeah. and there's just all these um people on the market selling arms and armor and shields and stuff and it's all with the um sort of the uh, uh, what are they called the um what's it when you, you your shield sign or what was
1: it oh a uh, sigil
0: yeah it's all with the sigils of all these Houses that are taken part, so there's loads of uh, mailed fists, which are the glovers, mm. and loads of the white sons, which, if you remember, the castarchs. Because all these people, and there's sort of, it's almost like the ghosts from book one are sort of just reappearing again. And I love that sort of texture in this this part of the book.
1: Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. I think it's um, it, that, I mean, that's a good answer to the problem I was talking about before. Is that while I've lost my image of the war, texture is coming in from other interesting though. I am I am still seeing West. Yeah,
0: I like the I like the male like the Glovers and the Stark's armor and stuff because it makes you sort of think back, thinking, "Oh shit, yeah, I remember when like they were on like this crest of a wave and you know the North were kicking ass and taking names."
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it sort of all went to pot uh, after yeah. Sad, sadly. But the thing man. is, uh, well, thinking, you and I are both wired to root for any any war where the North is winning. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be yeah, fucking come on. Yeah. And then he doesn't come up. The
0: problem is, as well, that it just reminds you of the, the glacial scale of progress of the North <laughs> making towards actually doing anything
1: like that again. <laughs> oh, I can all turn on a sixpence, map This is Westeros.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Brienne has finally decided to get a shield repainted because she keeps getting shit for having <laughs> this bat on a shield, which everyone remembers as this like horrendous house that you used to live at Hall and used to be, uh, I don't know, they had this unsavoury reputation, so yeah. she's finally doing something about that. Um, She's getting a new, a new uh, sigil painted on it. It's not her. It's not, it's not Tarth, the one that, the place where she comes from. It's this different one. I don't think she makes it clear what it is, but it's something she remembers.
1: Yeah, um. I mean, it's sort of something that was painted over the door at some point, or something like that. It was like something that she saw in her father's armory. Mm. Um, yeah, and fair enough. But does it strike you as a bit weird? A character who's so obsessed with honor and so on, as Brienne, just sort of says as an aside, "I, uh, oh, you know, I couldn't use my own." arms i can't use the arms of tarth otherwise mm. you know because everybody still hates it i'm like well you know traveling under a false banner hasn't done you any more favors what's everybody gonna think when you turn up with like a shield that's painted like a sort of primary school art class gonna look at it mm. and be like so you're from the house whose sigil is the strangely painted scene of a unicorn having a slash on a tree next to a, <laughs> a rainbow what fucking yeah. house are you from, Even, You know, like, I don't see how it's going to do her any favours. You're just a- attracting attention yeah. to yourself by not being part of a particular clan, aren't you? She, she,
0: should, she should have gone for the angry-looking red-eyed mouse on her <laughs> uh, bleak landscape. <laughs> <Yeah>. House
1: Shardich, you know it is? <laughs> Shardich. Met this bloke, he seemed legit, wanted to go around kidnapping kids, <laughs> so I thought I'd copy him. Oh, she should have <laughs> yeah. done the red chicken, that's what she should have done. She should have painted the red chicken <laughs> come back across (laughs) Illitha the penniless and be like, what now, (laughs) motherfucker?
0: (laughs) That'd be great. My nemesis returns. (laughs) (laughs) Seems bigger than
1: before. Also real rather than completely made up shit.
0: Yeah. I don't mind that so much actually putting the false sigil on just because in, in the books, unlike the series, in the books she's very aware of the fact that it's useful to be um, a little bit incognito when you're out searching for this, especially considering her reputation as a killing uh, Renly. Um, And also, she's thinking a bit about how people will see her as she's going along. Whereas, Mm -hmm. for example, also, she's got Oathkeeper, this really, like... um, uh, this ornate Valyrian steel sword which is obviously a Lannister sword mm. which has been given to her mm-hmm. but she keeps that hidden away yeah. and uses her old sword so as not to draw attention whereas in the series she just fucking walks around with this <laughs> Lannister sword <laughs> so every single time she bumps into anyone they're always pointing it out she sees the hound he points it out and says you're a Lannister yeah. and she's still got it on when she sees Littlefinger he points it out and says it doesn't occur to her to hide the fucking
1: sword <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand it's supposed to be quite big isn't it so so, so, like, yeah. you know, he's, yeah, he's right, not exactly yeah. fold away, is it? Like, <laughs> I noticed that you're carrying an extremely old, notched, and not at all impressive sword in your hand while you have a nine-foot-long slice of the most terrifying offensive weapon ever made in our... To be honest with you, you haven't avoided any questions from me, have you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I suppose there's something to be said for both. <laughs> but, um, at least she's thinking about it in the book, anyway. Um, so she she goes to see the guy in charge of Duskendale, and um, the hero, Sarufus Leek, as he's called, um, says that she, she's looking for this Sir Dontos Sidontos guy, isn't she? Because it looks like he's the knight that Sansa ran off with. Mm. Um, and it turns out Dontos hasn't been there for a while Um and they also tell Rufus Lee also tells this story about how during the sort of rebellion duskendale actually rebelled against the king during uh, sort of some some time way back when like rebelled and, um, almost
1: first right
0: yeah yeah and um embarrassed the, the 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 king ended up getting captured there and barristan had to go in and sort of save him and get him out before the uh, before the town could be taken yeah it's a little bit of extra little history lesson, which was quite interesting as an aside. Mm. Um, but yeah, the main the main point is that Dontos hasn't been around for ages, so she's no lead. Yeah, she then goes to this um, tavern and she bumps into this little dwarf monk who has a, a us, you know as usual has a tale of woe. He's sort of he used to serve in this uh, sort of sept in the middle of the countryside, which got sacked and uh, everybody got killed, but he managed to hide. Mm. Um, and he says he remembers this night, in Sodontos, It seems buying a ship for passage for three people, um, mm. and so it's so it's actually a genuine lead. Uh, and this guy, he said he heard it from this guy who's from Maidenpool with a world class name. He's called Nimble Dick. <laughs> um, and we've got to... Is he now? Yeah. Do you so think he introduces so...
1: himself? Is, is he proud of that? Or does he go, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Richard, actually, and I'm quite good at footwork. So, less of that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, daft name aside, Brienne at least has got something to sort of go towards now. So she decides to head off to Maidenpool and um, and see if she can find this guy to, to, to go a bit further, to keep on the trail. When she's on the way to Maidenpool, she... Um, she sees Sedontos, his, like, his family castle, which is now in ruins. She goes to take a quick look at it. Yeah. And in that time, this little guy who has been following her all the way, you she keeps bumping into him. Um, this lad on a horse uh, turns up. So she gets the drop on him to find out who he is. And it's little pod... Who was Gemma the Squire Way. for TV? And it's quite funny. She does the whole sort of "Why are you following me?" and he does the classic "Because I got nowhere else to go." <laughs> <laughs> so I,
1: I really liked this actually, and I, um, I, he's a nice. Li- I couldn't work out whether I like this in the TV series more or in this because in the TV series obviously Podrick's been with Brienne for a while. Um, mm. Uh, So when I started reading this, I was like, it was one of those moments where I had to remind myself of the differences. Um, Mm. But in the TV series, Podrick has kind of gone from being this, like, stammering imbecile to being a bit of a simpleton with a heart of gold sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas in the book, he's still very much this, like, completely useless stammering, completely incapable. He's like, all of his communications with everybody, he sounds like a naughty schoolboy who's crying in front of the headmaster because he drew a penis on the back of somebody's shirt. You know, like he's just, yeah. he's, he comes across that way. Um, so to be honest with you, I was most happy about this because I felt like maybe there's a chance I'm going to see badass Podrick start to emerge in the books as well. And I'm like, I'm rooting for this yeah. kid. I'm on team Podrick, I'll tell you. I wanted to to become this like, I wanted to become the king, basically, is what I'm hoping. Podrick Payne in charge.
0: <laughs> Podrick on, the thro- Podrick on the Iron Throne. Podrick
1: on the Iron Throne. <laughs>
0: that will be a twist, wouldn't it, would, it? That's what the ending is. Once again, mark
1: it well, Matt. <laughs> books, <laughs> books six and seven have yet to come out, you know. Pod for the Iron Throne. Pod for the yeah, Iron Throne. Sounds
0: good to me. It's funny because in, <clears throat> he, I suppose he had his moment, didn't he, at the Battle of the Blackwater where he saved Tyrion's life by killing a member of the Kingsguard. Mm. So not many people can say that. Yeah. But he's um, he is just continued to be this sort of stammering. He's only a little child, I suppose, and it's quite a good example of what happens to kids in this, unless you're someone like, I mean, are, oh, you're such an unusual case because you're such a strange child anyway. Yeah, that's but true. What happens to a typical, what happens to a typical kid when you sort of, you, they lose the support network because mm. he was obviously, that the what's supposed to happen here is he becomes a squire, then goes up through the ranks from there. Yeah. But Everyone who's supposed to look after him has died. Yeah. And uh, I think we find it a bit more actually in the next part of the book where he tells a bit of his story about how um, <clears throat> he just constantly has gone through, like, people who are supposed to be looking after him have ended up getting killed in battle or other th- sort of like uh, killed for other offences and stuff. Yeah. And he's just sort of bumped along attaching himself to. People as he goes because he's really got nothing else that he can do. There's no home yeah. he can go to.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's mm. quite, yeah, it's quite affecting, really, isn't it? It's quite sad. I feel sad for him.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that is as far as we're going for this week. <sighs> we uh, you leave me on a sad
1: note, Matt. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit uh, here feeling of, sad for Podrick yeah. the whole time.
0: Yeah, for, oh, you can read on to the next chapter about Sansa, because she's in a great place <laughs> at the moment.
1: Um. Yeah, that's right. Give me a bit, quick me up for the emotions. Pick me up for the emotions. Yeah, Listen to flipping Sansa talk about her poor life choices. Deary me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it looks like we're going down memory lane because that chapter begins when she was just a little girl. Um, we're going to read as far... For next week, if you're reading along with us, we're going as far as uh chapter about Jamie, page 280 in my book, which uh, begins, Lord Tywin Lannister had entered the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume that means had entered the city historically, unless we get in quite the twist in the next part of the book. Um, so I hope yeah, so. That's what we're going to.
1: I wonder who's going to die. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, there we go. So that's uh, two parts in of our 10. And um yeah, we've we've had a again it's there's not a lot of plot movement in particular, is there? It's it's still about just setting out um the the world and just reminding us exactly where everything lies in this this stage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, for next week. Uh until next week. It's uh, it's time for us to bid a fond farewell as we saddle up and join Brienne on her path to Maidenpool. And join Tywin on his continued path to nowhere as he's dead. <laughs> and, uh,
1: <laughs> Superlative recovery there, Matt. I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs>
0: and maybe maybe we'll see a bit of Aya again as well. Oh, and oh, and, oh, I and do Sam, hope what's
1: wrong so. with Sam? Yeah. There's
0: plenty of questions anyway.
1: There we go. Yes, yes excellent. Next week. Until next, next week.
0: Time. Oh, uh, one more thing to say. If you do want to uh, give us any thoughts on the book, any feedback you only need to send it. Obviously, thoughts on a uh, use of male nipples as well. Send to uh podcast at gmail.com sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or you can get us on Twitter at
1: Shark Until then, Dave. Until then, Matt. Goodbye. leers.